Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. Something new and definitely not good. Frosters are expanding synthetic ID fraud from consumers to businesses. So discover what synthetic ID fraud is why now, and how it affects the vendor team and what steps the vendor team can take to combat it. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 240, Can the Vendor Team Combat B2B Synthetic ID Fraud? The first thing I want to answer is what is synthetic ID fraud? And then we'll talk about how it affects the vendor team. And then we'll talk about some ways that I think at least for now, the vendor team can combat this new fraud that's hitting businesses. So let's start with what is synthetic ID fraud. So LexisNexis defines it in their article called what is synthetic ID fraud. Um, And I'll link that in the show notes, but they define it as when a fake identity is created by uh, combining fabricated or synthetic credentials not associated with a real person. Okay, so now let's talk about a video from Bank Info Security. They had Dory Bucketthal, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she's the vice president of risk and fraud solutions at Thompson Reuters. And she says that fraudsters are now expanding to B2B or business to business, right? They are Uh, expanding to become your vendors. And now they are opening bank accounts and credit cards using that synthetic identity. Now, this is something that um, has historically been within consumers or being done to consumers. And the question is, is why now? Well, LexisNexis said in their article. And again, that'll be linked in the show notes. Um, They talked about how social security numbers 
uh, have changed in how they've been kind of created. So uh, in 2011, there was a change that the Social Security Administration um, put into place where they started randomizing the issuance of social security numbers, right? And that's supposed to protect the public because I specifically remember, and maybe you do too, that there was some type of um, guide that identified what made up your social security number. And so that included criteria like what state you were in, um, what year you were born in, right? Or maybe it was a range. And so if you knew certain pieces about a person, you can almost, right, um, guess uh, their social security number, or at least parts of it. And so what the Social Security Administration did in 2011 is they started randomizing it. Well, that's fine for not being able to, you know, identify um, parts of uh, anyone's or maybe their full social security number based on specific factors about them, but it made it harder to detect a fictitious social security number. Now we're talking about social security numbers and I know that um, many vendors that you process have an employer identification number and not EIN and EINs are generated or issued by the IRS. Now I don't know how the IRS generates the full nine digit EIN. Uh, I don't know if they randomize it or not. I do know that the first two digits of the EIN can be uh, a certain set of digits based on their tax classification and whether or not they requested the EIN via their online form or not. Um, so I don't know if they do that with EINs, but if vendors right can have both social security numbers and EINs, and I'm sure you have vendors that have both, right? Especially um, because you've got vendors in that first tax class that is a single member LLC, individual sole proprietor. They don't necessarily need uh, an employer identification number or EIN unless they have uh, an employee and they need to submit um, or, yeah, submit the payroll withholding taxes to the IRS, else they don't need them. So you probably receive um, or set up vendors or have vendors in your vendor master file that have both social security numbers and employer uh, identification numbers. And now we know at least one of them can be fictitious or fake, and it can be hard to detect that is fake. Okay, so on that note, let's talk about whether or not the vendor team can combat B2B synthetic ID fraud. Let's just say, um, first of all, whether it's real, uh, a real or fake uh, EIN or SSN, here is really how I think the vendor, uh, the vendor team needs to combat synthetic ID fraud. And that is with a combination of your vendor processes for requests, uh, your vendor requirements for vendor setup, and then also your vendor validations. Starting with process, I think that uh, you should have your own customized vendor setup slash change forms 
uh, bank forms and require in-depth data on them, right? Don't make it easy and just accept what they give you. We all know that U.S. vendors out there will have a W-9 like ready to give you. And if they don't have to fill out more information on the vendor setup form, then they're happy because they've checked off their list that they are now set up as a vendor with you. But I don't recommend that anyway, even outside of fraud, because if you only accept the W-9, right, you're not getting a lot of information. Yes, you get the legal name, you get the DBA if they have one, you get the tax ID, but you only get one address. And if a vendor puts uh, puts like a P.O. box or a mailing address that you don't know is a P.O. box, but it actually is, and you can check that, um, you also need to get, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you do need to also get a physical address because many fraudsters will hide behind P.O. boxes. And so I just don't think it's enough information um, that you're collecting to protect your company from fraud. Another thing that I include on uh vendor setup forms when I create them for my clients. And it's also in the vendor toolkit that I have available on the uh, vendor process training center. But there I have information on the internal team member that they have a relationship with. So they have to provide the name, they have to provide the contact information. And then that way, if there's any red flags on the vendor um, record or on the uh, with the vendor request itself, then we've got somebody that we can um, that we can reach out to. And so uh, the biggest thing, though, is the fact that you're asking this additional information on the vendor setup form, on the banking form, it means that the fraudsters are going to have to do more work. And because of that, they may just abandon the request and go to the next potential victim that will accept only what they are given. So now that you have your own customized vendor setup forms, change forms, banking forms, whatever forms you have to collect the information that you need to do the validations to verify that they are a real vendor, you've got those and they, uh, the vendor has completed them, right? And now you're ready for that vendor request. So the second thing that I think you can do to combat um, synthetic ID fraud from the process side is to have all vendor requests uh, come from or be approved by either a buyer in your purchasing team or from an internal team member. Now, this means that either a buyer or an internal team member that has had contact with the vendor uh, to provide the service or product will submit a request to have that vendor set up in your vendor master file. Now, let me just clarify here. I don't mean they need to collect the information uh, from the vendor and then give it to the vendor team. You can have a separate form that gives, uh, that you ask the internal team member or the purchasing team member to fill out that gives you, guess what, all of the 
uh, uh, information or contact information from the vendor, along with other vendor information like their name and address. But you're collecting the uh, information from the vendor that includes the exact point of contact that you need to reach out to. Wow, when does that ever happen, right? Most times or sometimes I know that you've been hindered because you don't have the right person that you need to reach out to in order to get uh, the information that you need to set the vendor up, right? Because it could be the salesperson. So have them fill out uh, a what I typically call an internal vendor request form with all the vendor's information. And then the vendor team will reach out to that vendor with the required forms and instructions on how to be set up as a vendor, right? And this will protect you against those vendors that are just mass send, sending out their W-9s and banking information, hoping that they will be able to be set up uh, in someone's accounting system or ERP. And then in turn, once that happens, they will be able to send uh, a fraudulent email, a fraudulent invoice that they hope will be processed through to a fraudulent payment. Now, I think this step works better when you have uh, a buyer and a purchasing team. So if you have a purchase order policy and you have, you know, uh, PO compliance in place where most of your purchases is via PO, that makes it a lot better because typically the purchase order process or the sourcing process has a little more due diligence or more due diligence, I would say, than an internal team member that is looking for, you know, a vendor to satisfy their service or product. So now you have your forms, uh, you have the vendor requests coming in from either your buyer or your internal team member. And now you've sent your uh, the instructions for a vendor to be set up in your vendor master file. And they have uh, sent back, if they, if they are a fraudster and they've gone that far, right, they've sent back that information. So now you need to do uh, what... I, I still run into folks at conferences that are not performing it, but it's the IRS 10 match, right? But again, I still run into folks that are either not performing the 10 match or only performing it on vendors that are reportable or only, perform, uh, only performing the IRS 10 match once a year. So before setting up the vendor, perform the IRS 10 match. Make sure that the vendor is real uh, because, and I'm assuming here, but the LexisNexis article did say it could be hard to detect a fictitious SSN, but if it's at all possible that when you run that uh, fake fictitious social security number as part of your 10 match, it should come back as a mismatch or a fail validation. And hopefully for any fictitious or fake EIN as well, but it doesn't hurt to do it. And uh, again, make sure you do that uh, validation prior to setting the vendor up for every vendor, whether they are reportable or not. 
Now, the last way to combat synthetic B2B synthetic ID fraud, at least for now, is to check their address. So most of you probably already checked to make sure that the address exists, that is valid, and that it's formatted so that it will be uh, able to be de uh, deliverable. So whatever you send to the vendor will able, uh, be able to be delivered. Um, also, that also helps with um, preventing duplicate vendors. So if everyone's putting in addresses, you know, the same way, standardizing them the way that, for example, U.S. Uh, United States Postal Service, USPS has it, then you're, uh, it's easier to find duplicates. So that may help with those fraudsters that are trying to perpetrate B2B synthetic ID fraud because maybe they made up the address too, right? In addition to making up a social security number or making up a, an employer identification number. Um, but what about those vendors that may just use, right, an address out there and then don't maintain it? So did you know that you know, United States Postal Service, if they deliver mail to an address, but no one picks it up, uh, the mail carrier will take it back to the post office. And then if no one picks up the mail after 90 days, they will mark the address as vacant. So if you check the status uh, of an address and the ad status of the address is vacant, that could be another red flag. And by the way, um, you, USPS, right, they will, they maintain that information. But when you go and look at their, go on their site and you do the lookup tool, right, to do the address validation, they don't tell you that. Um, there is a company called smarty.com and maybe some other companies as well, but they will give you, uh, smarty.com at least will give you the status of an address. And another thing I like about them is they will also identify if an address that maybe looks like a street address, uh, but is not, they'll tell you if it is a PO box only address. So you might want to add status to uh, your address validation. All right, so I just talked about four ways that the vendor team can combat B2B synthetic ID fraud. Um, number one was have your own customized vendor setup, change forms, bank forms, so that you can collect more information than what they would normally just give you. And you're not just accepting or only accepting what they give you. The second one is to have all requests come from or be approved by a buyer in your purchasing team or the internal team member that they have a relationship with if it's a non-PO purchase. Uh, the second way was to make sure that you're performing the IRS 10 match. That may find that fictitious uh, social security number or that fictitious uh, uh, employer identification number, it may result in a failed validation, which could be a red flag that this vendor is, uh, ha is trying to perpetrate uh, B2B synthetic ID fraud. And then the fourth one, last one is to check their address. Uh, make sure you check the status of that address. Uh, and so I do want to leave you, though, with something that Dory Buckenthal, again, said in that Bank Info Security video I referenced earlier. She stated that 
really the way to combat uh, synthetic, uh, B2B synthetic ID fraud is with artificial intelligence. So use AI to find anomalies in the data. And what I think she meant by that is to find a tool or monitoring, continuous monitoring service to check the data in your vendor master file against you know multiple different databases and resources to try to detect fraudulent data. Um, I really think that we are getting into a space in the vendor setup and maintenance function where it's just bigger than the eagle eye of the vendor team to combat fraud. I think it's just bigger than that. But until then, Make sure you are performing all your vendor validations recommended for your company, your vendors, your country, your vendor countries, your industry, and more, and plug up any gaps in your vendor process using um, these four tips I just talked about, um, as well as any other gaps that you uh, have in your vendor pro- that you know you have in your vendor process. And I know many of you already know, right? Um, but plug up those gaps that can lead to fraud. And if you want help with either of those, check out the show notes for links to some of my services um, so that you can click through and get more information. So thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 250th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.